The early Jerusalem church did have two of its leaders arrested. James was executed. The apostle Peter was securely locked up with two guards chained to him and two more guarding the doors. Even James Bond couldn't escape from this lockdown. Turn with our study leader Dave Woodson to Acts chapter 12. And let's discover the secret weapon that's better than any gadget that the British Secret Service can provide. What's your crises this morning? What's your crises this morning? And what's your first response to that crisis? I want you to imagine that you're in an Islamic country and that you suddenly received word that two of your pastors had been arrested. One of them was arrested first and was immediately executed. Now that's a crisis, right? Then they come back because there's so much popular support for that execution that they arrest the major leader. They arrest the founder of your church and the one that is the preeminent teacher and the one that the Holy Spirit's really using and they put him in jail and they're holding him. They're holding him. What would you do? How would you respond to that? What should we do? Well, what I think of, man, let's contact the authorities. You know, I need to contact the authorities in Washington, get in touch with the embassies, and, and those might be some of the things we want to do. But I want you to realize that the scenario that I just presented to you wasn't just pretend. It wasn't just an imaginary thing, and it's not an imaginary thing for some of our brothers and sisters, but as we read Acts chapter 12, our first century Jewish Christian believers in the church of Jerusalem were facing exactly that kind of a crisis. You see, Herod Agrippa I, who was the son of Herod the Great, who was now in control of the area of Judea, Galilee, he's really solidifying his power, and he realized that one of the things he can do to get the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, to really be on his side, he arrests James. James is John's brother, one of the original 12, and he immediately executes him. He has so much popular support from that that he arrests the apostle Peter. Now, this is the one that gave the message at Pentecost. This is the one that the Holy Spirit used to give birth to the church. He is the leading apostle among the original 12. And then Herod Agrippa arrests him, puts him in jail in Jerusalem, he had four squads of soldiers taking care of him. And they're on shifts. He has two soldiers that are chained to his arms and his legs. He has a soldier at one door, a soldier at another door. In other words, James Bond isn't going to be able to escape from this lockdown. No mission impossible can be set together to be able to get Peter out of Herod's grip. What are you going to do? What do you think we should do as a church family? That's what Acts chapter 12 is, is answering the question. If you turn to Acts chapter 12, that's the scenario. The church is faced with Peter in lockdown. He can't get out. And what we want to see is how the church responded to that. The very first thing that really gets me is that I would say, Lord, why in the world did you allow... James to be executed. We started out in the passage that we just read. It says it was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. We have the serpent seed, the serpent seed in this whole thematic story of the Bible. The serpent is trying to take out 
the seed of the woman who is now the body of Christ, the church. This great drama. That's what's underneath here. You need to realize that all of you are caught up in that. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior, then the serpent is trying to take you out this morning. He's trying to take me out. And this is a very real warfare. This is a war zone. And in war zones, people lose their life. And so the evil one, through Herod Agrippa, attacks James the Apostle, arrests him, and immediately executes him. And my response to that would be, when really bad things happen to good people, how do we respond? What about you? I would be tempted to get really angry with God. And I would be reminded, hey, Stephen had the same thing happen to him, Lord. And you allowed him to be stoned. I'm not sure this is such a good idea to be involved in this Jesus movement. Lots of people in the first century respond to that. And and I want you to really understand that when it comes to the business of trusting in the resurrected Jesus, this is a life or death commitment. That's what the book of Acts is challenging to. This isn't nice culture religion. It's not doing something nice on Sunday morning. You need to decide and I need to decide whether the fundamental commitment of your life is Jesus rose again from the dead. James, one of the Lord's original apostles, was in the upper room. He saw the Lord Jesus for 40 days after Jesus rose again from the dead. He was part of that original band of 120 that was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave birth to the church. James isn't just into culture, religion. James is into the real thing. And so one of the things he realized, and the first century church firmly believed this, is that the fact that Jesus died for sins, the fact that he rose again, wasn't just some nice little philosophy. It was the life and death commitment of their lives. So the very first thing I ask myself is, Dave, how do you respond when the Lord, our heavenly king, allows really bad things to happen to good people? That's what the book of Job is about. Sometimes in this life, we pray, and it doesn't come out the way we think it should come out. Chet Bitterman, that was a missionary down in Columbia, gave his life after tons of prayer, thousands and thousands of people praying, and Chet Bitterman became a martyr. And that's what James has recognized. The book of Acts and all the New Testament is saying Sometimes in this powerful warfare with the evil one, lives are lost. But remember, we have a resurrection hope. So what happened to James as soon as Herod took him out, where did James go? Tell me, where did he go? You believe that? Where did he go? Do you believe that? Was it better? Okay, that's what we want to encourage each other in today. Because that's what our hope is. We need to pray for one another that when we face really bad things and when someone is lost, when we lose one of our sisters, we lose one of our brothers, when we lose loved ones, and it looks like God isn't answering our prayers the way that we think they should be answered, my temptation is to get angry. How about you? And I walk away. And I want to really challenge you. That is part of this spiritual warfare Tons and tons of people, they pray to God. They believe Jesus died for them, rose again, supposedly. 
You know, they think now I'm a child of God. God will now be my heavenly daddy. He does what we want him to do. What I want to understand is the Bible doesn't tell that kind of a story. The Lord God in heaven, there's a great mystery. There's an incredible conflict going on. And there are really, really bad things that happen to good people. James was just as good as Peter. And the Lord, miraculously in this story, is going to deliver Peter. But he didn't miraculously save James. And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to trust God. And I'm going to have to decide whether I'll trust him. Or whether I'm going to walk out into the darkness and curse him and reject him. And that's the struggle that some of us are in this morning. And so one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do is to nurture us and to comfort us and to give us that hope. Because I want you to know that God, the Lord did deliver Peter in the coming verses that we're going to study. But at the end of Peter's life, the tradition tells us that he was taken to a cross and he was crucified upside down. And so he was used of the Spirit, but then he faced the same destiny that James is. You're part of a movement where if you go to Rome in the catacombs, there are thousands of names down in the catacombs. Believers met down in the tombs, all this underground tunnels all around the city of Rome because they were being persecuted for Christ. What held them together? What powerfully enabled them to impact so many lives? They believed Christ died for our sins. He rose again. And one of the greatest joys in life is going to be for us to understand that we need to not run when we face potential death or martyrdom, but that we trust, like the early church of the book of Acts did, even if James is killed, with Job they said, even if the Lord slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. Because I believe that in the end, the Lord is going to bring incredible blessings. When we say that, the second thing, however, is we need to realize we have a supernatural God. And this story is about supernaturalism. The critical scholars, if you go to way to college, are going to tell you this story was just made up. It's a, it's a beautiful little imaginary story. And if you believe that, it, it means we've got an imaginary apostle named Peter who gave birth to an imaginary church that became the Christian church, that became the most powerful movement that the world has ever known, that's still having incredible influence, and it all happened because of a pretend man named Peter. So I want all of you, when you're in a college classroom and you hear that rejection of the supernatural, you still got to explain why there's people like us 2,000 years later that believe with all of our hearts that Jesus rose again from the dead and the Lord around the world is using those people that believe in the resurrection power of Jesus to do incredible things. And that's what the book of Acts is about because Peter's arrested too. It's a religious time. So you need to understand, you'll look at chapter 12, Peter. It's the time of Pentecost, the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Something you need to learn about that is that religious people will keep on doing their religious things. They'll keep on having their holidays. They'll keep on doing all their stuff while they're murdering people. So we're not into that. We're not into that. The Jerusalem religious authorities are having their Passover. They're having their unleavened bread. If I would have asked Caiaphas, what about Peter and Joe? He said, man, he's a rabble rouser. We got to kill him. He's going to destroy our temple. He's going to destroy the whole, our whole nation. We got to get rid of him. Instead, he had the representative of the living God. He had one of the prime agents of the living resurrected Christ in jail, and he wants him to be murdered. I want you to see that contrast. What's the Lord going to do? 
We read here in Acts chapter 12, it says that during the, the Feast of Tabernacle, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over, and he was guarded by four squads of four soldiers. So Dr. Luke is telling us there's absolutely no way that he can be delivered. There's 16 soldiers taking shifts every watch of the night, making sure this guy didn't escape. So Peter was kept in prison. That's an understatement. Now, what does the church do? And this is what I asked him. I said, Dave, what would you do? And this is the thrust of what Dr. Luke, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to teach us today. The church had a secret weapon. The church had a secret weapon, and it's its most powerful weapon. And it's what I pray the Holy Spirit will use this passage in your personal life, in your family life, in our church life, in your business life. When you face crises, what's the first thing that you do? It says that the early church, it says when they learned that Peter was in jail, but the church was earnestly, notice, present, continuing tense. They're earnestly praying to God for him. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit's going to powerfully work on our church family. That our first response, that when we hear about an illness, when we hear about the loss of a job, when we hear about struggles in a business, when we hear about struggles in our town, when we hear about struggles in our nation, when we hear about the loss of life, we hear about an accident. Some of you are involved in professions where you're constantly wrestling with that. What's going to get you through is that your first response to crisis is to pray. It's one of the greatest gifts that we have. I want us to commit to this this morning, that in our Sunday school classes, in our small groups, in fellow believers that are in our workplaces, in our schools, that we are really understanding the power of prayer. Because I want you to know, this goes against everything that I was raised with in a lot of ways from a human standpoint. Because there's a part of me that says, what are you doing, church? You are in Mary's house. You are praying. Why don't you do something? I mean, don't you have representatives? Can't you send some kind of a message to Claudius and say that there's been a mistake? Don't you have some in people? I, I, I thought that John the Apostle, he has some people in the priestly house. He knows Caiaphas. Can he pull some strings? Can't we get organized? What do we need to do? We need to get signs. We need to go down to Herod Agrippa's prison. We need to have a big march against the prison. We need to show those Jews and Romans what we're about. We need to have a sit-in. Let's have tents and we'll just stay there. See, that's the human way that we do things. And I want you to understand there's tremendous power in that. Revolutions take place because of that. But how is God's kingdom built? How is God's kingdom built? And God's kingdom begins when people pray. Their first response to a crisis is not to depend upon all their resources, but they understand. You see, when I'm on my knees praying, I'm telling God, I can't do this. I don't have the resources that you're going to have to work. I'm dependent upon you. And you can start in Genesis chapter 1 and go all the way through the book of Revelation and God's people always get in trouble when they don't pray. So this is the secret weapon. 
And this text is trying to move us down through the centuries, and it's trying to move us this morning. Dave, Midlothian Bible Church, and believers that are listening to the teaching of Acts chapter 12, the early church is praying. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who are you going to vote on? Herod Agrippa is a dashing prince. He knew the previous Roman emperor, and he's really close friends with Claudius. In fact, when Claudius took over, he got all of Judea added to Galilee. He now controls the same area of land that his, 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 his father, Herod the Great, controlled. He's a powerful king. Annas and Caiaphas totally control the religious hierarchy of Jerusalem. They're in total cahoots with him. He's got... Peter locked up in either the Antonio Fortress, which is a gigantic fortress right at the temple complex, or he's got him locked up in his palace. He's got him inside, chained to soldiers, four squads of soldiers. Who are you going to vote? What's going to happen to Peter? Is he going to be executed or is he going to be saved? Vote. Who has the upper hand here? See, that's what you need to understand. That's what this text is about. From a human standpoint, The church has nothing. The church is going to lose. Peter is dead. And that's what Dr. Luke wants us to understand. You see, the first century church didn't have resources. We have a ton of them. The church didn't have political power. We have a lot of it. The church didn't have great influencers. A lot of their people were just low, poor people, not a lot of influence. Now, how in the world did the first century church, this little fledgling group out of Jews that wasn't even recognized by the Roman authorities, how in the world did it conquer the world? And why did it become, how did it become the most powerful movement for good in touching thousands upon thousands of lives? And in the 21st century, in the third world, it is the driving new force. How did that ever happen? Because people like you and people like me got down on our knees and said, we might not have any human resources, but we've got God. We've got the resurrected Christ. And we believe that the resurrected Christ will supernaturally show up and do his thing. You say, well, Dave, I don't really have that kind of a faith. Well, the early church, what's great about this story is it's so on it. Did you read it? It says Peter is sleeping in prison. So Peter isn't praying Peter, in fact, Dr. Luke is saying, hey, you know, if you're, a, if you're an apostle, if you're walking close to the Lord, you can relax, even if your execution is so far away. And Dr. Luke is comparing Peter, like Socrates, before he was martyred, his followers, before Socrates was poisoned, they marveled that he could sleep. And so Dr. Luke is telling the Greek readers of his day, hey, Jesus can do more than even Greek philosophy can do. One of our major leaders isn't scared to face martyrdom. That's all part of this story. But Peter's sleeping. The early church is praying. They say they're praying for Peter, but I'm really not sure what they're praying for Peter. They might be praying, Lord, comfort him and help him through this martyrdom because they just lost James. It doesn't really tell us in the text specifically what they were praying about. All I do know is when Peter knocked at the door, they can't believe it in a million miles that he's there. So I'm not sure. This doesn't sound to me like a group that's praying, hey, Lord, send an angel to deliver him. That's what I love about this text. It's so honest. You don't have a bunch of super spiritual people saying, oh, Lord, send an angel. You can set those chains free. I love this. I think they're praying, Lord, man, this is awful. We just lost James. We're going to lose Peter. Help just comfort dear Peter. And evidently they did pray for him to sleep because he's sleeping. 
But I love this story. While they're praying, suddenly an angel appears. Angels always appear with bright lights, knocks the guards out, probably just like in the resurrection of Jesus when the angels appeared. The chains fall off Peter. And, and the text actually said, Paul was nice when he read the text. The text actually said that he kicked Peter in the ribs. That's the idea. You know, Peter's sleeping so soundly, the angel picks him. And then there's great humor in the story because the text tells us that he had to tell Peter, put on your clothes, put on your sandals, put on your shoes. And then he, it's, he's like a heavenly valet. And the angel's saying, and you can feel the tension in the story. Let's get out of here, man. Angel, what are you worried? Who cares what he has on? He can walk out of the jail naked. But the angel is like a heavenly butler that's saying, yeah, you, need, you got your shoes on, got your thing. Come on, you got to have your outer robe on too. And then they start walking up. The chains have fallen off. The, the doors open wide open. And Peter's kind of going through. He's half asleep. He's, he's thinking he's having a vision. You know, remember, he's the guy that had the vision of the sheet lowered down. He thinks he's having one of those prophetic visions until he walked out in the street. The Western text adds that he goes down seven flights of stairs. I'm not sure whether that's accurate, but then they go out into the road, and then the angel suddenly is gone, because that's what angels do. The standard procedure for angels. They get you out of trouble, and then it's your thing. you got to go find John Mark's Mary's house. And then Peter, probably the cold air, whatever, hits him and goes, oh, man, this is the real thing. I was delivered. So then he goes through the street. He knows, notice that the church has enough gathering. They must have gathered in Mary's house before. So they're not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together. They were involved in small groups that did meet. So Peter, when he got out of jail, knew where to go. He knew where if there would be a small group of people or a large group of people that in a house that would be praying. So he goes to Mary's house, and this is a pretty large house. So some of you, I, it doesn't say anything about Mary's husband. I have no idea about Mary's husband. She might have been a widow. She could have been a divorcee. I have no idea what Mary was. I know that she's the mother of John Mark, and Luke introduces John Mark in this story because he's going to enter in the next story we have about the first missionary thrust. And we're going to have a long story about how John Mark goes in and out in his relationship with Paul Later on in the story, but this is the beginning. It's John Mark's house, his mom Mary's house. Evidently, it's a big house because he goes to the gate. Remember, these are three-cornered houses. you got a major outside gate. People can be inside the outer room. And he's knocking on the front gate, not some little door. He's kind of yelling. You know, but it's got to be quiet because he's a fugitive on the run. So Luke tells another funny story. It's the servant girl. So Mary's rich enough to have servants to take care of her house. How many of you have maids that are in your house taking care of things in your house? Now, don't raise your hand. You'll give yourself away. But this shows us that the believers in the first century weren't just poor. You had some pretty wealthy, powerful people. So don't knock yourself. If the Lord's giving you resources, use those resources to have the body of Christ in your house. Praying. That's what the text is telling us. Rhoda. Anybody named Rhoda? If you're named Rhoda, your name means rose. If you didn't know that, now you learn something new. Rhoda means rose. So Rose comes to the door, and she hears Peter's voice, and she recognizes it's Peter. And she gets so excited. She goes, oh, yippee, yippee, yippee. She goes running back in. She says, hey, everybody, stop praying. Peter's at the door. He's knocking at the door. He's been delivered. They go, you're crazy. This crazy girl. These women are always hysteric. Just like the apostles responded 
when Mary Magdalene came to them and said, Jesus rose again from the dead. Remember that? So you girls, you're not put down by scripture. If you girls later on go to college and they tell you that Christianity is anti-women, if it wasn't for Christianity, you women would never be in the position where you are right now. Amen? You're part of a movement that set women free. You're following a savior that in the first century spent individual time with women. He talked to the woman of Samaria. This story isn't knocking Rhoda. Rhoda is the star of the story. She's exuberant. She's excited. She's someone that really responds. It's all these group of praying believers. They're praying, and they can't believe their prayers have been answered. And then I love it. They do some theology. They have a discussion of angelology. They tell Rose, it's his angel at the door. You see what they're saying? What they're saying is, Peter died. Anybody have believers like that? In other words, Peter's dead, like James. This is great. Real faith here. Peter's dead. And we've got an angel that used to guard Peter. You know, the Jews believed that every one of us had a guardian angel. In fact, the New Testament teaches we probably have several of God's servants that are taking care of us as the Lord's children. And that was very highly developed. So the Jews are having a debate with Rhoda. It's not really Peter, but it's his angel. And finally, they hear the noise. Peter, in the meantime, you know, he, his life is in danger because Herod, who knows whether Herod's soldiers are after him. Finally, they go, and they see Peter. They bring him in, and they all rejoice. The Lord has answered an incredible prayer. He set the apostles free. Prayer takes the chains off. He sets the captive free. He can deliver us. Do you believe that? How do you respond when you face a crisis? How do I respond when I face a crisis? We've learned we're not going to get angry with God when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should. And even if we're slain, we're going to trust him because we've got resurrection glory ahead. Amen? Second of all, we're going to be totally committed to the reality of the supernatural that can invade our lives in the here and now and can do miraculous things to set us free. Thirdly, because of that, our first response to suffering and crisis and problems is going to be not to worry. It's going to be not to get angry. It's going to be not to criticize. It's going to be to pray and ask God down on our knees to powerfully work. Then we're going to rejoice. And the final thing in this passage is Peter says, I'm going to have to. By the way, there's some of you that are practical. Peter doesn't stay in the house and go out and preach in the temple the next day. This is very important. I want you to see this balance. Peter was just rescued, but now he leaves Jerusalem. Okay, Peter is going to be gone, and he's going to be carrying out the mission to Jewish people all over the Roman Empire, and we'll pick up his story like in First and Second Peter. You'll be able to have a good insight into what Peter's doing. But Peter's going to be stepping aside so that Paul can step to the fore. But I want you to see that there's this balance. Peter was rescued, but he doesn't tempt the Lord. Now he does what's humanly wise. The Lord says that if one city they reject you, flee to the next city. It makes sense? So there's a great balance here between supernatural trust, but now human practical wisdom. Peter leaves. James, the Lord's half-brother, is now leader of the Jerusalem church. The final thing I want to ask you, can the Lord take care of your enemies? 
How many of you have an enemy that just curses God? It's full of pride. Just wipes people out. Does anybody have an enemy that when they really want to take out one of their enemies, they just cut their head off? None of you have a boss. It's that bad. Through the years, I've faced all kinds of terrible bosses with my friends. I've worked through hours and hours of rest with my friends, angry at their bosses that betrayed them, that lied about them, all kinds of stuff. But to be honest with you, I've never had somebody in county say, hey, my boss, someone that, that they didn't like, just cut their head right off. So this is really serious stuff. Can God take care of Herod Agrippa? Do you believe that God can take care of a man that says, I'm going to wipe out the leading apostles of the newly born church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. He's going to put them in jail and try to wipe them out. And he didn't do it just for political power. And I want you to feel this. This is raw. Does anybody live in a world where people do things just for political power? Does anybody do, live in a world where you know people lie and they slander people because of political power? And some of you throw your hands up and say, I just can't believe this is happening. Read the book of Acts. That's the world we live in. It shouldn't catch us by surprise. But this is a really big issue. Some of you get scared. Some of you get cynical. Some of you join the enemy team. You start using the exact same techniques that Herod Agrippa uses. So now we have not only Herod Agrippa, but now we've got you joining in lying and cheating and taking out people and being angry. That's not going to help. You know what helps? The God of the universe, your heavenly daddy. I want every one of you to know this. If you become God's enemy, he can take care of himself. Herod Agrippa, right after this story. For you college students who go away later on, Josephus tells exactly the same story. He's a first century Jewish historian. Herod Agrippa went down to Caesarea. I've been in Caesarea. I've been in the amphitheater where Herod gave a great big speech. It's right in the Mediterranean Sea. You can drop a quarter on the stage and you can hear it without any amplification. You wouldn't need any microphones or anything. They just did all their plays right on that stage. No squealing mics or anything. With a roar of the Mediterranean right behind it. The cities of Tyre and Sidon desperately needed the granaries of Galilee where there's beautiful wheat and there's beautiful hay. And I've even taken some pictures. It looks like Texas when we've had not a drought but a beautiful harvest. Herod controlled those granaries and the people in Tyre and Sidon needed that food. They got Blastus who was Herod's chamberlain, kind of like his leading aide, like a general that has a leading aide. The Tyronians and the Sidonians get in with Blastus and they get Herod to agree we're going to have peace. So they solved a rift. And they have a big celebration. Josephus tells us that Herod went down to celebrate a big Claudius Caesar day. And in the big Caesar day, they were also going to celebrate the new peaceful relationships. Doesn't that sound like Washington today or what you hear about the European comments? Same kind of thing going on. Herod got on a beautiful silver thing, just like a rock star. Puts on a beautiful silver robe, metallic. And he walks out, and the audience is on the eastern side. He's on his stage. So the sun comes up from the east and hits his robe, and he radiates like a rock star. And the audience starts crying out, he is not a man. He is God. And he accepted it. And the text of Acts says he dropped. He had tremendous stomach problems. 
your text says that he was eaten with worms. That's a first century way to say, man, he had a stomach virus like you wouldn't believe. And in a couple days, he was dead. And the text closes, you look at Acts chapter 12, the text closes by saying this. It says that Herod Agrippa died, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Verse 24, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their missions, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John Mark, also John, also called Mark. And that's going to lead us to the next incredible expansion of the body of Christ. What are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? When you face a crisis, what's going to be our first response? Let's pray. What crisis are you facing right now? Will you affirm God's supernatural ability, his miraculous power to invade into your world and meet your need, meet our need? Have you become angry because in the past you've prayed and God didn't do what you wanted him to do? You're like James's family that prayed for his release, but instead Herod was able to execute him. And they could have been really bitter because Peter was released and all of Peter's family was able to rejoice, but they had a dead son, a dead husband, a dead brother, a dead uncle, a dead precious brother, friend that was killed. Have you gotten angry and become cynical? What have you gained by not staying close to your heavenly daddy. You can express your anger to him, Job did. You can argue with him. Just don't turn away from him. Don't curse him and die. It's a real relationship. I don't understand why God allowed James to be killed and delivered Peter. We can let our precious Savior explain that to us when we're home in those millions upon millions of years of eternity. But one thing I know for sure, that bitterness and anger, rejecting trust in Jesus, is one of the worst decisions that my friends make. And this text in the book of Acts is challenging us. The early church didn't close down their prayer meeting when James was killed. They kept praying and trusting and even though they might not have even been praying for Peter's deliverance, our Heavenly Daddy does far and above everything we could ask or think. So talk to him about some of the concrete worries, concrete problems, the crises, maybe in your family life, in your business life, maybe your health. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in countries where they don't have freedom and they are being imprisoned and they are losing their lives. That just like in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit might bring miraculous deliverance, that he might produce incredible growth. Can you trust the Lord with your enemies like Herod Agrippa? Can you believe that in the end, the murderous, prideful, arrogant leader to the world aren't going to have the last word. 
that your precious King in heaven, your precious Lord Jesus Christ, is just and holy. And he will deal with those that curse him. He will deal with those that attack him. Will we believe and trust so that we can have calmness and freedom from fear in the face of our foes? That through prayer we work through our fear to trust. So let's just pray quietly and ask the Holy Spirit to help Midlothian Bible Church to catch a fresh wind of the Spirit of God moving us to fervently pray so that our first response to crises is not to worry, not even to plan, but our first response is to pray so that all of what we do, the incredible plans that the Spirit of God will give us, will flow from his insight and his wisdom and his grace.